0: Kansas has three games left in the regular season. Their next game against West Virginia at home on Saturday, then against Texas Tech on Tuesday. Uh, They'll be significant favorites in both of those games, maybe a double-digit favorite against Texas Tech. And then they finish the season against Texas. Next Saturday, you win that game in all likelihood, you're going to win the Big 12, if not outright. And you might just get the number one overall seed for the NCAA tournament. Kansas has now won five in a row. And I think in their last three, not just because of the accumulation of wins, but because of how you've looked in those games, you're starting to turn some heads around college basketball. Nationally, not just the resume, which stacks up with the best teams in the country, but you're starting to play like one of the best teams in the country. And I know it's easy to look back to three straight losses in January, but if you judge teams based off their worst, then you'll find ways to poke holes in everyone's resume. doesn't matter if you're talking about Houston, Alabama, Tennessee, Purdue, UCLA, whoever you think the best team is. Everybody's got something you can point to and say, oh, I don't really love this. With Kansas, though, the reason why they're starting to look like one of the best teams in the country, it's not just who they're beating. It's not how much they're winning by. It's not the points that they're scoring. It's the fact that for the first time all season, they are finding different ways to beat you. And for Kansas, that has meant other guys not named Jalen Wilson looking like they can carry you on a given night, looking like they are threats to beat you. Early in the season, it was cut the head off the snake. Right, Take Jalen Wilson out of the game, and you don't have a counterpunch because that's what college basketball is. That's what most sports are. You come into the season thinking this is how we're going to play. This is going to be us at our best, and maybe it works for a little while. Then teams get taped. They adjust. They counterpunch, punch, counterpunch, punch, counterpunch. Counter this is Kansas's counterpunch right now. They got knocked down. I'm not going to make a Chumba Wumba reference, but they did get up again. Who right now is impressing you the most for Kansas? I want, to, I want to hear from you on the Jays Southland Toast Service text line 913-586-7610. Who on Kansas is impressing you the most right now? How about Kevin McCuller? Last five games for Kansas, Kevin McCuller is averaging about 14 points, five rebounds, five assists per game. He is the definition of a Swiss Army knife. He's not the best at any one thing, although his defense might have something to say about that. But he's like one of the top two or three guys at basically everything that Kansas tries to do. What's most impressive about this latest stretch from McCuller is that he's doing it while being ice cold from three. He is one for 11 from three in his last five games. Meanwhile, he is 20 of 31 from inside the arc. That's 65%. Just for a frame of reference, Yudoka Azubuki was about a 71% shooter inside the arc for his career. The last five games, Kevin McCuller as a wing is shooting 65%. He's also getting to the free throw line a ton. He shot 32 free throws in the last five games, made 25 of them. That's 78%. So this guy, who was never a great shooter, streaky at best, who early in the season was struggling to find his role offensively. And Kansas fans wondered, like, really? This? This is the top transfer in the country? This was the guy we were fawning over? Yeah, he's one of your best players. So he's a candidate for who's playing the best right now. How about Grady Dick? He's been the second best player for KU all season long. Some people think he's been the best. I I refuse to go there. He'll be a top 10 pick. He might be a lottery pick, top 10 pick, whatever the case may be. Jalen Wilson is your national player of the year candidate. He is your all-American candidate. Grady Dick has been incredible. But he's been even better as of late. 18 points per game during Kansas's five-game winning streak. In the last three, he's taken it to a new level. 20 points per game in KU's last three. If you go back to uh, the Oklahoma State game, Grady tied a career high when he took 17 shot attempts. On Saturday versus Baylor, he took 18, set a new career high. Then, on Monday night versus TCU, he took 18 shots again. And it may seem like an arbitrary number. Who cares how many shots you took? What did you do with them? But for Grady, for a freshman who has unlimited range, who, when he is on, is the most lethal shooter in America... The question has become, how are you assimilating to college basketball? You didn't play with any of these guys last year. And for so many guys, so many freshmen, the question is always, are you going to stop deferring? Can you stop worrying about the resentment that you may have from other guys because you're taking too many shots and you're not paying your dues? Because I'm telling you right now, everybody in that locker room, every coach on that sideline is telling Grady, shoot it whenever you can, but it's so tough for freshmen to figure that out, to figure out when you're supposed to defer and when you're supposed to start getting involved. And when KU was struggling offensively earlier in the year, oftentimes you could point to the fact that Grady was not being assertive offensively. Last three games, he's taken 17 shots, 18 shots, 18 shots. This guy is not deferring anymore. And that's wildly impressive for a guy because most freshmen, it takes a year to figure that out. Right? You go through an offseason, faces change, your role increases a little bit, and then by default, you are more comfortable with being that dude. I mean, look at Ojai Baji, took him till his senior year. Look at what Jalen Wilson's doing right now, took him till his senior year, a redshirt junior. Grady's doing all of that in his first season, and it's why it's probably going to be his last season. How about Ernest Uday? Ernest has become the guy. The 10-minute-a-night big guy off the bench. I get it. He was a McDonald's All-American, and we sort of thought maybe this is going to be your starting big guy. Before the season began, you thought he might be the five. KJ eventually becomes that guy. Ernest looks lost. There was a stretch where he wasn't playing at all. And I wonder if part of that was by design. If Bill Self said, you know what? We've got to recalibrate here. You were a McDonald's All-American. Maybe you had certain expectations. You felt like you had to live up to the hype. Didn't happen early. So let's pull the reins back a little bit. We're going to sit you on the bench until you're comfortable being a role player this year and understanding you don't have to go out there and score eight points and get eight rebounds and get two blocks a night. I think Ernest may have to do that for a game or two in March if KU wants to win the national championship. But right now he is settling into his role of just being an energy guy off the bench. And it's exactly what KU needs. KU is amongst... The 10 worst teams in the country in terms of bench production. They're not asking for much. All we're asking for is for you to not be the worst bench in America. And Ernest is doing his part at chipping away and digging Kansas out of that hole. But the guy I think has been most impressive for Kansas during this five-game stretch, during this stretch where KU's won seven of eight games, where they've won three games against top 10 teams, is Dewan Harris. And the stats aren't going to jump off the page at you. During Kansas's five-game winning streak, Harris is averaging about 12 points per game, about seven assists. I mean, they're impressive, right? They're not All-American. They're not first-team Big 12 numbers. 12 points, seven assists per game, about two steals, only turning it over about uh, one and a half times per game. But when you look at Kansas's five losses this season, there's a common denominator that jumps off the page at you. I kind of had to do a double take when I saw this. In Kansas's five losses this year, Dewan Harris has nine points total. Nine points and 17 turnovers for Dewan Harris in KU's five losses. And in those five losses, Dewan is four for 23 from the field. he scored exactly two points. That is his his high in Kansas' losses this season. It almost doesn't make sense. But when you see the way he's playing lately and you see the way that Kansas is playing lately, it's very clear. DeWan does not have to be your best player. He does not have to be your best scorer. He simply has to be willing. And I know that seems easy, right? Just shoot the ball. Just be a threat to shoot. So the teams have to take you seriously. So the teams have to defend you. But for a guy who's never been an offensive threat, who has never been a go-to scorer on a team in his entire career, sometimes that is a learned trait. It takes a while for guys to understand that and assimilate into that role. But it's finally happening for Kansas. And if they are going to go on another run to the NCAA tournament, where DeWan was great last year, he's got to be a different player than he was on last year's national championship team. That's what KU is trying to do this year. A team that returned virtually nothing except for DeJuan and Jalen from a season ago. The guys who played last year have to become different players. And the guys who weren't here last year or who weren't playing last year have to get settled into their new roles. And sometimes that takes a year or two. But in this modern era of college basketball and roster turnover for Kansas this year, you don't have a couple of years. You got a couple of months. And it's taken a couple of months but Kansas is finally turning that page and evolving into one of the best teams in the country. Shreyas Lada is the Kansas beat writer for the Kansas city star. A lot of very talented, successful writers have come through that position and he very well could be the next one. Shreyas. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, First things first, you come to Lawrence slash Kansas city by way of where, where were you at before this? Uh, I was covering Yukon back in uh, in Hartford
2: actually uh, so it's it's definitely a, a trek from Connecticut to uh, Kansas, but I'm originally from Georgia been moving around a lot since graduation.
0: So do you have an affinity for covering blue blood basketball programs? Is that you know- the I guess
2: so. UConn fans will be really happy you call them a blue blood. I can't lie with you. Um, there's a lot of contention that, they're, that they deserve to be a blue blood. So I'll make sure to play this clip on Twitter so they can know uh, that another person agrees with them.
0: <laughs> well, I think, you know, blue blood is is sort of earned over time. You got to do it through multiple eras and they won they won titles with multiple head coaches. Mm-hmm. Like there's like there's blue blood and then there's <laughs> sort of like there's new blood right mm-hmm. teams that have come up in the last 15 years like i don't know what to do with ucla and Indiana. Yeah. i know the yeah. history there but you <laughs> haven't won a title in quite some
2: time no you're you're right i mean i think they're blue blood um they have this saying they say in stores i think uh one of the espn announcers called it they call themselves the basketball capital of the world that's where my contention happens i don't think stores Connecticut is the basketball capital of the world. I don't even think it's a top five, top 10 place when they, I think about basketball capital of the world. But that's my thought. Um, I'll give them the blue blood status. I'm not giving them basketball capital of the world. That's, that's my 50-50. Okay. So you can
0: play that <laughs> clip from earlier. You can put it on Twitter. Don't put this one on Twitter for this. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're the, problem right. With, the problem with saying stores is the basketball capital of the world is that I don't think the average fan knows the city that UConn plays in. You're right. I, I didn't know till
2: I moved connect. right,
0: so. <laughs> right. So, i mean like that that's you have to at least be able like i know kentucky plays in lexington you're right duke plays in Nur- in and durham i know mm-hmm. kansas plays in lawrence obviously so um so you you came from from uconn what was uh what was sort of your introduction into sports media how did you get into it so i had a a little bit of an unconventional path
2: i was a marketing major in school uh but i had a certificate in sports media and a minor in sports management i was obsessed with basketball you can ask any of my college friends Um, a lot of times i was doing everything but playing college basketball because i'm five foot nine and uh you know i I scouted i coached i did like video breakdowns for a local high school Um, i I taught some camps i had a couple nba podcasts with some big guests come on Um, My senior year uh, was really my first introduction into sports media. Um, I would interviewed with ESPN probably over a year and a half of like 45 times because they have five rounds of interviews. They got found around a bunch of times. And then finally, my would be boss at ESPN is like, you know, I've been here 20 years. You're the person I've interviewed the most ever. I was like, I I don't get this internship now. I'm gonna be really sad. Like, where we let's get this going. I ended up getting it. I spent um, my senior semester, the first three months, uh, right before COVID hit, in uh, Bristol, Connecticut, as a stats information intern. Um, I liked it, but I quickly realized I'm a lot more front facing than a guy beyond the stats. And I felt like, hey, why are the people that doing the you know the stats and they really do everything? you know, props to them, not getting enough credit. And, you know, a little ego part of me came out. And I was like, you know what? I used to write a little bit in high school for like sites and some other websites. I came back. Um, I started writing a ton. Uh, and my, like some of the people I had gotten to know at ESPN and other outlets came on my podcast. So I was doing that a lot. Um, and then fast forward that like July-ish, I went through an Asian American journalism conference, which is virtual. Somebody like my resume. A month later from uh, Gannett, I get a uh, email he's like hey would you be interested in covering sports life and hunting and fishing let's talk i was like you know what if that's my start to journalism why not and you know i was open about everything and like, i read the stuff that i wrote like february of 2020 and i read the stuff i write now and I was, it doesn't even seem like it's the same person writing it and uh i spent about 13 months in uh central pennsylvania york pennsylvania writing sports life hunting fishing uh I am not a hunter or fisher. So it was quite a, a tough task for me, especially in the middle of COVID going to gun shops and talking to people. Cause I have never even, you know, been around a gun in my life. I'm an Indian <laughs> dude who has never done any of that stuff. Uh, but it was one of those things where if you can write about something that you don't personally love or like, or whatever, you can write about anything. And I learned how to write in those 13 months. Really. Um, I read to some stuff, uh, led to some stuff with CBS news and slam magazine or some features for them. And then, uh, November of last year, I got the Yukon job with the Harvard Currents and uh, spent a year there. And
0: now I'm here. That's quite the backstory. You're still in hunting and fishing country, by the way. If you oh, I know. It. I know.
2: So I, I apologize if anyone likes hunting and fishing, but it's not my cup of tea. But right. I, I, I give a lot of respect to the hunter and fishers out there because I, I don't know how they do it. It's uh, it's a different world. It's just a different world. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, you know, if you ever want to dip your toes back in, you're in. The- <laughs> yeah, I, the I,
0: think right I think I'll, I think I think I'll stick to basketball this time, you know, stick to basketball and football. Okay, so you're actually, I'm interested in getting your perspective on this because Mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, the people that I talk to or, you know, you talk to KU fans, Kansas has such such a rich tradition year in, year out that I think a lot of people who are in it and and cover the team and follow the team closely have a tendency to always judge Kansas based off past teams. You're always comparing them to the best teams. You're always comparing players to... Mm -hmm. Some of the best players of the past 10, 15 years of Kansas basketball. You're obviously a basketball junkie, so I'm sure you have that same or a similar frame of reference. Yeah, yeah. Being someone who wasn't covering it on a daily basis now in your first year on the beat, covering this team day to day, what's your sort of overall impression of this team? Three games left in the regular season, what they looked like at the beginning of the year to where they're at now. What's sort of your 30,000 foot (laughs) view? of kansas basketball right now
2: yeah um honestly that's, that's such a great question because I, I came in november 28th which was i think right near like the end of co- uh, you know non-conference play i saw them play indiana i saw them play harvard and a couple other teams uh but you know i've just been really impressed you know it, it's it's funny that you know the sky was falling with those three game losing streak and now they're a five game winning streak and, and it's just one of the things that i've felt with college basketball is things change so quickly. I I don't feel like you feel that way with the NBA or even like the NFL, like things can change like the minute, like week to week, things can feel like things are going so great versus this week sucks versus, you know, like I've never felt that with any other sport, I think. And I, I grew up mostly a pro sports guy until I went to Georgia. And then obviously college football became inundated in my blood. So it's, it's really interesting because my viewpoint on this team was like, I don't know if this is a team, you know, initially when I came in and I'm looking at this 10 game, which are like, they look really good, but I don't know if this is a team that can make a deep run. And the more I watch them play, the more I've seen them improve, the more I've seen you know, guys like Ernest Udo step up and get become real contributors. I've seen DeWan become the aggressive point guard they need him to be. Kevin McCuller has reinvented his game because he can't shoot threes right now. He's like one of 11 the last five games, but he's shooting 50% from the floor because he's cutting. He's doing the driving things. The more I think, hey, this Kansas team is really good. And in this field where everything is wide open, where there isn't a ton of like teams that I could sit there and say, I think they're going to win the title. Why not Kansas? I mean, like, you know, I, I, it's not a hot take to say that now, but, you know, it, five weeks ago, I don't know if anyone would have considered this Kansas men's basketball team a title contender. Hell, Bell, Bill Self didn't expect them to be you know, protected number one overall seed technically. You know, they are looking at a team that could potentially be the number one of all the one seats, which is crazy to think about because. Just, you know, a month and a half ago when they're going through or a month ago when they're going through that three game losing streak and the sky was falling and all that, everyone was like, How good is this Kansas team? Are they gonna win the t- like you know, the conference? And yeah, obviously they could lose this conference, but everything they've shown me, I think they they are a team that's built for a run in March. I just don't know how big of a run that's gonna be because it depends, like always, on matchups.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny, you you mentioned the idea that Things change so quickly. I was just talking to somebody earlier today about you know where this Kansas team's at. Are they a title contender? And the person said, "I'm. Not, I don't know. I'm not quite there yet." I said, "How are you not there yet? Have you not <laughs> watched? Them? They look like the best team in the country." And he told me, "Well, yeah, but they're also a team that went on a three-game losing streak." <laughs> I'm like, "Well, this is that's college basketball. Yeah, yeah. That's going to happen. It's just like in college football when Ohio State." drops one to an unranked Indiana team, and you say, well, what happened? Nothing really happened. It was one game on a Saturday where one team didn't bring their best, the other team had a a one-in-a-million game, and boom, upset. It doesn't change the reality that that's one of the best teams in the country. That's kind of where I'm at with Kansas, yet when I look at everything since that TCU loss, Mm -hmm. you've won now seven of eight, you have won five in a row, three wins over top 10 teams it does feel like something has changed with this team something has shifted have you sensed that and if so is there anything that you can point to or that stands out in your mind that has really changed with this team
2: yeah I think the the two things the, the first one and I've talked about it all season is Dewan Harris's play on offense. He's been more aggressive. He's been more energetic. And he clearly knows when he's offensively minded, that means not just you know passing the ball as well as he usually does. Kansas's offensive ceiling just opens up like tenfold. I I, I don't quite understand it. I and mean, obviously spacing gets better. Everything gets better. But it just changes the way teams defend Kansas. Him and McCuller are the X factors of this team. When they come out ready to play, it seems like Kansas doesn't really – get down big, like they have had the tendency to do early in the year. Um, they get opposing teams into foul trouble, even if they're not making their shots and just the ability for him to be non-hesitant and take that three when instead of like, you know, early in the year, he'd have those open threes, but he would just be a little hesitant and, and self said it all year. DeWan is hell of a shooter. He's bringing guys like Grady Dick and McCullough, et cetera, in shooting competitions. He obviously believes in their shooting ability, his shooting ability. And I think, you know, him and, and McCullough being offensively minded, looking for their shot instead of relying on Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick and sometimes KJ Adams to bail them out of bad possessions has really made Kansas more uh, of a better offensive team and the their ceiling. And then also their defense has just gotten so much better. I mean, like it is night and day. I mean, obviously I thought their defense was good, but now I think they're ranked ninth in defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. Um, It's just, you can see even like uh, having Ernest Udo come in and he comes in off the bench. And I've been so impressed with his play in the sense of he doesn't really stuff the shot sheet, but you can see he can guard guards when they switch onto him, which you don't see that a lot out of traditional big men. Um, he's great in the pick and roll and defense. Um, he has clearly earned that backup big role. And you don't see Sue for Zach Clemens playing much. Obviously they're dealing with injuries and some other stuff in the last couple of weeks, but still. Um, and I, I've just been like, you know, if they can find that, you know, a little bit of consistency off the bench scoring between either Yesufu or Pettiford. I don't see a lot of flaws in this team besides them being a little undersized.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that's so interesting. Going back to the beginning of the year, I always try to think back to the questions that I had about a team before the season began, and that was the big one, which is mm-hmm. how is this big man rotation going to shake out? And even when KJ won that job to start the season, I thought, okay. Waiting for Ernest to take that job, waiting for Zach to take that yeah. job. And it's never happened. And you sort of you sort of just shift the goalposts a little bit. Even though Ernest was a McDonald's all-American, you say, okay, well, you don't need to be that guy. Yeah. This year. This year, you just need to be the energy backup, rim running, shot blocking, grabbing rebounds, throwing the ball in transition. And it does seem like maybe early. It was tough for him to figure out that role. Am I playing to be the McDonald's All-American? Am I playing to be the starting? Yeah. Do I need to do all these things offensively? I think that's probably confusing for guys, which is why I think maybe he, there were a couple of games where he didn't even play. And I wonder yeah. if part of it was psychologically Bill Self just trying to rewire his brain to say, okay, we don't need that from you anymore. We need you to just fit in and be this glue guy off the bench, which... It feels like he's starting to figure out, but I still think there's more there. I still think he hasn't quite hit his strides of what he can do. Obviously, the rest of the, his mm-hmm. career, but specifically this year, I, I think there's still another gear he can hit.
2: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. You can see it. It seems like every game he's gaining a little more confidence in himself. You know, it, it's fun to watch. And I, I wrote about it earlier with KJ. Like, you know, when he was going through that streak of double-digit points, he was. Really, like I was like, whoa! This guy's playing himself into a year away from being, uh, or he's another season away from being, a, you know, hot take, but a first rounder. You know, I know I think that's what KJ was playing, and KJ slowed down a little bit, and in that essence, Ernest has picked him up a little bit in the sense of he's given them a lot of things that KJ can't offer, just because KJ six seven six six. Ernest is that traditional big man, and and I think there is more we can see from Ernest. I mean, he has that vertical spacing, he has that lob that I love to see him and see if they could get him more involved in some post-ups, get him involved a little more on the offense when he comes off the bench, because we haven't seen a ton of that. I mean, like, he's not usually an option on offense besides, you know, some lobs they throw up, you know, Bill Self will you know, create some good plays for him out of bounds, you know, and get alley for him. But um, I definitely think, like you said, there is a little more on both ends of the court for Ernest. And uh, I think, you know, as he gets more confident with himself and he gets more comfortable out there, I think we'll see a little more, of that offense that Ernest can offer.
0: I think if Kansas is going to go on a run in March, there's going to have to be a game where he has a like a massive impact off the bench. And that's, that doesn't mean 15 points. Right. But yeah. I think there would have to be a game where he comes in and gives you nine points, eight boards, three blocks, something like that. And he won't have to do it for six games. You don't have to do I'll it for do two. Games, right? but I think there will be a game where you have a matchup, or KJ gets in foul trouble or you're going up against a team with a really talented, really big front court where Ernest is gonna have to come through.
2: A hundred freaking percent. I agree with that. It, you know, I call them the March Madness heroes and everyone calls them that, but it is one of those, you know, like the bench guy that comes off the bench and plays 10-15 minutes and just you remember that forever if you're a Jayhawks fan or whatever, like fan like, oh that guy, remember that guy at that time when he came in and had 15 minutes of of fame and he stopped this future NBA superstar from putting up 30 on us. And that was just enough for us to advance to the next round and win the tournament. Eventually it's one of those you know legends of lore that build up and Ernest Udo is building himself up to be a legend of lore and even something more in the next couple of years. But yeah. um, I think he's, he's that character for Kansas and, you know, maybe somebody else will be, but I think he's that guy who's the candidate for legend of lore as I call it.
0: Yeah. Uh, a lot of people remember Cole Aldridge, 2008, mm-hmm. shutting down Tyler Hansbrough. I think that's a, yeah. And that's a game that a lot of people remember that final four game in 2008. Uh, you recently uh, put out a feature, which I would highly suggest everybody go and check out in the Kansas City Star on Grady Dick. And I know you spent some time talking to Grady Dick, talking to some players around. Let's just start first with Grady and your discussions with him. Mm-hmm. What was your, what was maybe the biggest takeaway, the biggest thing that you? came away thinking maybe a little bit differently or something that you didn't know about him or understand about him before talking to him? You
2: know, I think the most fascinating thing about Grady Dick in the day of, you know, one and dones and, and, and a lot of guys that look like he, you know, he could be probably will be a one and done is you don't see that level of passion and love and work ethic for a school that he's going to be there probably a year, maybe two years tops. You know, I, I asked him what his legacy wants to be in what, when he leaves Kansas and he's not talking about, I want to be the most, you know, talented scorer ever. He's like, I want them to remember me as this guy who does all the dirty work and does whatever it takes to win. I want them to remember that I was this hard worker. You don't hear those words out of a guy that's going to be a lottery pick. He was a projected lottery pick um, very often. I mean, I really think Kansas fans got a really special player in Grady Dick, not just because of his contributions on the court, but his love for Kansas basketball is evident. I mean, I was talking to his trainer. He was like, I asked him point blank, was there really any other team that, you know, or school that could have picked up Grady in their green so He's like, honestly, not really. He grew up with a freaking Bill Self bobblehead, you know, in his room. And it was like when Kansas came through, everything else became second place. I think the only team that was there with a chance potentially was what the painter said was Baylor. Um, but even then that word, there wasn't as much consideration because you know what Bill Self can give Grady Dick and what Grady Dick can give Kansas is obviously Grady's is you know, very talented freshman star, but you know, Bill is teaching Grady the stuff that he lacks, you know, like defense, the stuff that, you know, he needs at the next level. And a lot of what he's doing right now playing team defense and stuff like that and he's improved as the season's gone along, that stuff is the stuff that's going to separate him from being a guy that um could be a star in the NBA versus a guy that's a role player in the NBA. I don't know what his ceiling holds because I need to see a little more of uh just Ball handling, which he's shown off a little bit and more offensive creation, which he has in his bag and he's shown at times. Um, but I came away very impressed with his work ethic and, and just, you know, how badly he wants to win, how focused he is on this season, not focused on the draft, not focused on anything else. I mean, I asked him point blank, what does it mean for you to be a prospect? And he was like, I mean, it's great, but I'm not really worried about that right now. You know, it's like, wow. Like you don't hear that from a 19 year old kid very often. It's hard to get um, somebody who's so, focused and serious on the court and has fun on the court. And then you see how he is off the court. I don't know if you've seen any of his TikToks or any of that, but it is just a goofy, goofy kid that um, when you put him on the court, uh, he's like a businessman is what his trainer
0: called him. And when he's off the court, he's this goofy kid that just lives up to his personality. Kind of the same question, but what about when talking to some of his teammates, which I know you did for this piece, what, what was the impression that you got? In, in how they view him, whether it be on the court, off the court, uh, in just talking to to them about him? Yeah, I mean, they view him
2: as this guy that they can pass the ball to and they trust with whatever he does, with the ball in his hands. Like, that, if that means shooting the ball, that's okay. If that means passing the ball, that's okay. Or if that means just taking the ball and do whatever Grady Dick does. You know, that quick pump fake goes in gets that mid range it's it. you know they they trust him 100% because of his work ethic because of how many shots he takes up at every practice because of all the hours he's putting in outside of the regular practices i mean like on game days he's trying to put up like 300 400 makes you don't hear that a lot and even on like i sorry on non game days and he in in high school he used to make trying to make 500 threes before he left the court on non-game days. that's an insane insane amount of shooting to get to that point even if you're like you know you do the map you presume 500 threes he's got to take what 650 700 maybe but that's a lot of shots to take up even on a non-game day he obviously cares about being one of this one of the best shooters in the nation cares about being um you know like what he can do for Kansas and and I think for him it's not even about the The glory or the stats because there's been games where he clearly has not you know been himself where he's shooting the ball and stuff like that but he's had nine ten rebounds and done what they need him to do on the court and i think his teammates really respect that you know they'd be really easy um for him to go out there and you know stat hunt or do what he thinks best i mean you know take a lot of shots or whatever um but he has the the basketball iq to
0: take the right shot and know the right moment when to take that shot i'm not asking you for inside information but do you I mean, you kind of hinted at this about this probably being his only year. Do you think there is still a glimmer of hope for fans who are hoping that uh, he will come back for year two? Uh, I'll say never say never, but, you know, I'm
2: sure you paid attention. I'm sure Jayhawks fans have paid attention to every mock draft. I feel like that you see of Grady dick. He keeps on rising up the boards. And if you're projected number six or number five or whatever, how are you going to say no to that? I'm just saying this from my perspective. I, you know, and, and as a guy that, you know, I talked to Trainer trainer. He was like, uh, I was like, did you expect Grady to be this good? And he's like, honestly, no, he's, he's been even better than I thought he'd be, which he talked and it's a testament to his work ethic. Um, and if you think about it, you know, like a lot of guys who are projected lottery, not late lottery, but he, he's like in that six to 11 range, really with how stacked this draft class is, is a testament to how good he is. Um, you know, they could go back and they can come back for another year and then they don't do as well. And then there's draft stock drops to late first or, you know, early second. I don't think Brady's one of those kids, but why kick that chance? You know, why even, you know, what he gets hurt, what happens, like it just makes the most logical sense. Um, if I, if I were to say, I think if he comes back, I bet you it's because like Kansas, you know, gets bows out early and he wants another chance of redemption or something like that. You know, I, I just don't see, uh, that happening, you know, I wouldn't, I presume Kansas will make pretty decently deep run. And, and I think Grady will be a big part of that. And it, it, it just feels like, you know, even though he's hyper-focused on it, how do you not take in the fact that everyone's telling you're going to be a top 15, top 13, top whatever pick?
0: Yeah. And I think, I think, uh, I think he's gone first off. Mm-hmm. I, I think NIL makes it a little interesting, but mm-hmm. it's, it's not there yet. Maybe yeah. in a couple of years, I do feel like, this the money could get to the point where it does make you reconsider but right now guaranteed money lottery pick bonuses you're not you're not passing that up for for another year and maximizing that earning potential but i do think i think what's so impressive about him is that or you're watching i think you're seeing him kind of hit his strides in real time and for a lot of guys that takes Mm. a second year to do yeah where you stop deferring to your teammates or Mm -hmm. where you can sort of take on this alpha dog role and say, okay, I'm that guy. Sometimes it takes a year or two to get help. Jalen Wilson, this is year four for him at Kansas. Mm -hmm. And he's just now kind of becoming the guy for Grady to go through that progress in his freshman year is, is damn impressive. But that also is why it makes it probably, an even easier decision for him to go pro knowing that i'm already kind of getting through these these growing pains in, in one year
2: a hundred freaking percent i mean
0: it's it's a lot of fun i mean i my
2: favorite thing as a basketball junkie is just watching these guys get better as the season goes along. that's why kj adams quickly became one of my favorite players mm-hmm. to watch in the season because I started when he had not even hit double-digit points yet, and then he had 11 straight games. I'm like, oh my god, this guy is literally learning how to play basketball as a star in the making, and I love that. Like, it is so much fun watching the progression of players. Um, And you know, I for me, I'm always rooting for guys to continue to get better you know and it's not about breeding for the team or whatever but i love watching players develop their game and add something new and they bring it out in the game and and it's just seeing the reaction from fans and seeing i'm like oh my god i didn't know he had that in him and and you're just like whoa like and that you can see that with kj you can see that with grady and i think that's one of the most fun things in basketball is watching development of young guys um and I'm, i'm a celtics fan i watched Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown grow up before my own eyes. They're my age. And to me, there's no greater pride than watching the guy that you knew from the beginning was good, but he really became a superstar, and you're watching that with Grady Dick right now.
0: All right, Shreyas, before I let you go, uh, prediction time. Does Kansas win the Big 12, and do they win it outright?
2: Yeah, I think they win the Big 12. Uh, I think they have an easier schedule remaining. Uh, They just have to win against West Virginia and Texas Tech. I think they should. You know, there's no excuses to lose those games. They know how important it is. Um, Texas has two hard games on the road Baylor and TCU. They could easily drop one of them. And then it becomes, uh, you know, if they, Texas, Kansas knows what's at stake, they just got to go into Austin and beat them at that point. And I, I like Kansas' chances. I mean, you know, they've showcased that they, or another, another level defensively than they were before. Uh, they have an easier schedule. And I think they know how big of a deal it is to win the Big 12 this year in a conference where everything has felt like chaos every moment and
0: every time. So I think Kansas comes out the outright winner. Shreyas, thank you so much for the time, man. Uh, a hearty welcome to Kansas. And uh, great, great job on the beat and excited to see what else you got in store for us the rest of the season, man. Thank you so much for the time.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun.
0: Right now, I want to do a little Kansas basketball mailbag. You can send me your questions each week at Nick underscore short on Twitter, or you can hit me up on the text line. First questions from Johnny O. Has a team ever been a one seed consecutive seasons after losing 70 plus percent of their scoring from the previous year? Or will this team be the first? I do think Kansas is going to be a one seed. And honestly, uh, Johnny, I'm sorry. I can't do the research of looking up every single one seed in the returning production. But I will tell you this. It's unprecedented for Bill Self. When you go back and look at some of the best teams the Bill Self's ever had at Kansas, just in terms of like not what, not necessarily what they accomplished in the tournament, though sometimes it can be. I'm talking about when you just close your eyes and think of the most talented teams, the teams that either did win it all, or you thought we're going to win it all 2008 comes to mind Uh, 2016 and 17, really both of those teams with Frank Mason and Devontae Graham had a lot of returning production, a lot of returning production. A lot of guys who were playing the same roles as they were the year before. When you think about the opposite end of that spectrum of the bill self era at Kansas, some of the, the worst teams, some of the more forgettable seasons, 2009, the year after the championship, when everybody left, Uh, 2014, yes, you had Andrew Wiggins and Joel Embiid, but you also had a 10-loss team that lost to Stanford in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Think about 2019, the freshman year of Devon Dodson and Quentin Grimes and David McCormick that lost to Auburn in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Those teams had an extreme lack of returning production. Bill Self has always done better with returning production, with guys who are established, who know the system, who know how to play with one another. The fact that this Kansas team, that is basically Jalen Wilson, Dewan Harris, and a bunch of new guys. Kevin McCuller wasn't in Lawrence last year. Neither was Grady Dick. Neither was Ernest Uday. KJ Adams was there, but he was hardly playing. These are a bunch of dudes who are stepping into new roles and are new on the team and are somehow able to compact the process, which usually takes two to three years into two to three months. It's wildly impressive, not just for any college basketball team, but specifically for what we're seeing uh, with Bill Self at Kansas. Next question comes from Kelly J. KJ has been mostly really good, but Ernie should be starting now, right? You know, Ernest Uday has been really good as of late. He's starting to get settled and he's starting to learn his role, but let's not... I don't want to diminish what KJ has meant to this team. Yes, he is six 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 seven. There are going to be matchups where he's not the best option or where he's limited in his impact. But KJ's been so damn good. My favorite thing about KJ is the way that he moves the ball. His basketball IQ, his ability to keep the ball moving on offense, he's so decisive with it. Whether it's moving the ball, he's a great and willing passer, but he's also really decisive when he wants to score. There is no wasted movement in his game, and he's only getting better. He's top 10 in the Big 12 in blocks so far this season. He's top 5 in field goal percentage. KJ has been a godsend this year. I wonder what he would look like against a team like Purdue or Arizona that has a lot of size and length down low but then you got to worry about what they're going to do against a smaller more athletic quicker big man in KJ so Ernest has been great in the role that he's been given KJ is great but that's what this is all about when you're entering March you want to know what your role is you want to know what you're supposed to do on the court I don't think you mess with that this time of year unless you absolutely have to which this Kansas team absolutely does not have to from Alex B., are there any teams you absolutely do not want to see in Kansas's bracket on Selection Sunday? I kind of just answered it, but the first thing that I'm going to look at is who has size? Purdue has the best player in the country, but he just so happens to be a seven foot four freak named Zach Eady. He's going to give every team's problems, but specifically, how about a team that goes six, seven, six, seven in the front court? Same thing with like Arizona. I mean, that Arizona, I think, is the best front court in the country with Tubelas and Balo. Now, I would have said that I was afraid of what uh, uh, Baycott would do against Kansas last year, but we all know how that ended. Yeah, you got to worry about them. They got to worry about you. Frank S. last question. KU's lost three Big 12 tourney games with me in the building, so I just hold up a Johnny's Tavern every year. Any KU basketball superstitions for you? Same underwear, same socks. Every game since I was a freshman in college.
3: Okay.